parking lot full of human beings whom I love. Some of you I love more than others, only because some of you are newer to our community. So soon enough you'll surpass the other ones because I'm getting a little frustrated with the other ones. So no, we, lo we love you all. We're glad that you're here. If you're watching online, thanks for being with us as well. These are strange times, and, and we want to provide spaces and opportunities for people to worship God and, and study His Word uh, in a number of ways. So whether you're online or, or here, thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, pressing into this moment. Uh, sideris, uh, for those that are newer, is a Latin word that's the root of the word consider. And so when we come together, uh, we consider a God who is beyond us, but yet not far from us, a God who is limitless while we are limited but he allows us into understanding who he is and so that's what we're going to do in the next uh, few moments here is try to understand this God who has chosen to reveal himself to us because he wants to be known and he wants to know us and it's amazing so uh, if you're here last week you you I did say next week I'm going to talk a little bit more about those false teachers in second uh, Peter chapter 2 and uh, when we decided to do another outdoor service because it went so well last week, I said, I don't want to talk about that. So we are actually jumping ahead to chapter 3 of Second Peter. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn there. You could also just Google on your phone Second Peter chapter 3. And um, we are going to talk about this quality of God, uh, this part of God um, that is his patience. So let me pray, and then we'll talk about patience. Heavenly Father, thank you for these people. God, we pray now that you would just protect us by your grace, that you would lift us up by your spirit, that we would be filled up, and as Ryan prayed, that our affections for Christ Jesus, your son, would be stirred to a place that we overflow with joy and grace and love for neighbor, our city, and our world, God as we live as you live, sacrificially giving yourself. May we be those kind of people as well, those people that think of others as more important than ourselves. God, fill us now by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Patience. Patience sucks. And I don't, I don't mean, for the kids here, don't use that word. I'm, I'm literally, I'm not talking about a bad word. It literally sucks things out of you. Have you noticed this? When you try to be patient in your own power, it literally has to draw from something else good in your life. Meaning your joy, or your happiness, or your holiness, or your obedience, or your productivity, or your efficiency, your time and opportunity are literally sucked into the vortex of patience. That's why we don't like patience. Many of you are being asked to be patient in your life, being patient for good things. Many of you have a godly desire for marriage, but you are being asked to be patient, to wait for a godly spouse. Many of you have a desire for promotion, career advancement, and you're being asked right now to wait and be patient. Many of you have a desire for children, and, and, and you are being asked to wait and be patient. 
Many of you desire a deep friendship. Maybe you're new to the city and you want that kind of friendship that you had in a, in, a, in a past place, a past time, a past season of life, and it's just not coming and you're being asked to be patient. And all of these things, if we are seeking patience on our own terms, will suck these other good things out of our life. All of us, right? are being asked to be patient in a way that we've never had to be patient before because of this pandemic. This is so hard. Patience is so hard. And it's extra hard for us as Americans, particularly savvy young Americans, because literally we've designed a society that rebels against patience. Now just imagine a society without the internet, or iPhones, or McDonald's, or Amazon, or Netflix, or Rocket Mortgage, where you can literally get a, a mortgage on your phone, or Uber, where literally anybody can pick you up and drive you anywhere you need to go. Imagine a society where you didn't have those things. Many of you think that you're, you've showed up to a drive-in movie. It's a horror movie. I don't like to imagine the world like that. That would require so much patience. And a lot of convenience would be gone if those things were stripped from our society. But you know what would be easier? Because it would be practiced. Patience. So we, we are not set up for success when it comes to patience. We can only dream or listen to Weird Al talk about the Amish paradise. Maybe the Amish have gotten it right. They know about patience. We, though, live in a world of demand, and that's not going to change. A world of on-demand. We live in a time of a global pandemic. That's not going to change. And so our need for patience is greater now than it's ever been. So how do we do it well? How do we not allow it to literally suck the life out of us? How do we not make it turn us to other ways of coping with our lack of patience. Shocker, you're at church this morning. You should know the answer. You look to God. God has divine patience. And if he, he chooses to impart it upon you, he can keep you from running off the rails of your life, even in a time like this even in a society where we have not practiced patience our whole life for most of us. If you turn to God and he gives you his spirit, he can uh, impart upon you his divine patience. It's amazing. This will keep us from marrying the first guy who buys us a spritzer and looks at our earrings and says, nice earrings, it makes your neck shine. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? <laughs> It'll keep you from ignoring the blessing of your employment and your income, and God's provision, and just pursue the next opportunity that comes along, just because it's something different. It'll keep you from asking your neighbor, Tuck, to help you start a family. Bad idea. That was a joke, but true. <laughs> It'll keep you from choosing your friends in a way that they only seem to be good friends after ten beers or a few joints. Is that what the kids still call it? That's what they used to call it. Okay. 
<laughs> we need divine patience so that we can keep our joy, keep our peace, keep our holiness, and keep our witness intact in the world. Because when we have patience that's different than the world's patience, people notice. But when our patience looks the same as the world, if, if you consider yourself a Christian, the world will say, not so different. Now, what does God's patience actually look like? Last week we talked about this other characteristic of God. God is a God of justice. And it's good news that God does not allow any evil to go unpunished. And we said either evil and rebellion against God's good moral uh, law, it's either punished by God against those who perpetrate it or that punishment is put on Jesus Christ on the cross for those who come underneath Jesus and give their life to him. So we talked about that last week, but God is a holy God, and so he does and he must and he will bring justice to the world. But then there's this other part of God, that God is love. 1 John chapter 4 tells us God is love. And the thing that holds God's justice and God's love together is God's patience. That's how the two can live, because when you look around, what do you see? Injustice. You see evil. But yet God's waiting. He's not removing it. And that is because of his love. And so these two are held together by God's patience. So we're going to read the passage, but let me give you the context. Peter is writing this letter to a group of churches in what is modern-day Turkey, uh, in the 60s A.D., so just a couple decades after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Peter is one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus that lived with Jesus and followed Jesus as he was teaching. He saw Jesus resurrected from the dead after his crucifixion on a Roman cross. And Peter is now teaching the churches how to live the Jesus way. But there's another group of teachers that have come in and they've said, I know what you heard from Peter and the other apostles. They got some of it right and they got some of it wrong. And one of the things that these false teachers are saying, and early in chapter 3, uh, Peter calls them the scoffers. They're scoffing at the idea that Jesus is coming back again to enact his justice in the world. You see, Jesus had promised that just as I am leaving this world, I'll come back to this world. And I'll come back and I'll set up my kingdom. And anything that's contrary to my kingdom will not last. And the scoffers, the false teachers, were coming and saying, you know what, things have seemed to go pretty much the same from the beginning of history, and I think they will. I don't think God's coming back. Even though they claim to be followers of Jesus, they did not believe that his justice was coming. And so Peter is speaking about um, the coming of Jesus, and he's speaking against these scoffers who are mocking the idea that God will come again in Christ, and this is what he says to them. So if you're there with me, 2 Peter chapter 3, that's the big three, little 9, verse 9, says this. Actually, let me start in 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. He's speaking to all the Christians in the church. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some, 
speaking about the scoffers, count slowness, but is patient towards you. That's actually the plural. So patient towards y'all, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What a beautiful promise of God. Peter says, I know what you are hearing, that if he hasn't come back now, he's probably not going to come back. But don't think God is being slow. People think they know about slowness, but they don't know about slowness. People don't understand what God is up to. This is his divine patience, Peter says. And his patience is confusing, right? We talked a little bit about this last week. Many people wonder, where is God? Where is God right now? Where is God in all the evil and the suffering that has happened in our world, even in the last 100 years? Where is God? Why isn't he dealing with this injustice? Why isn't he eliminating this virus? How could he be good and all-powerful and consider himself our father if he allows evil, suffering, pain to befall his children? I don't understand that. That's a fair question. Maybe you've asked that question. Maybe you're asking that question right now. Is God's waiting to judge and remove evil and injustice, is that a lack of love or is it an act of love? Is God's waiting an, a, a lack of love or an act of love? That's a huge question. It's a question that the world asks itself all the time. And I want to try to answer that for you. And the first thing that we have to acknowledge about God is that God seems to have two wills. Which might seem like a contradiction, but it's not. God has this will to, to balance the scales of justice, like we talked about last week, to remove everything unclean and evil from his world and kingdom. But he also has the will that none should perish. We just read about that. How do those two things hold together? I'm not going to answer it. I'm just going to say they hold together. And God has revealed it to us that they aren't a contradiction, but they're held together in the person of of God. God has both desires. But he said, you know what? If I give you what you want right now, which is a removal of all this stuff you don't like, there is consequence to that. Meaning, some of the things that you like but aren't as they should be will also be taken away. Here's, here's an illustration of this. In order to do live streaming, you're welcome, live streamers. I had to update the operating system of my computer. And I had not updated that operating system in five and a half years from when we started the church. And why hadn't I updated the operating system? Because when I update it, I lose all the other programs that I had bought before that. They are not, no longer compatible with the new Mac operating system. Thank you, Mac. So they're just inoperable right now but we can live stream. Now, if we're ever not live streaming, we're in trouble. We're going to have to spend some money. This is what God is saying in 2 Peter 3.9. 
He is saying, yes, I desire, I have a will to upgrade this system, to remove the glitches and the bugs and the slowness because this world is not operating as it should. Things are not running as smoothly as I designed them to run. And I've got the new code. I've got it. And I can, I can hit install at any moment. But I am waiting because there are some programs out there that I love so much that I'm waiting for them to choose to turn and become compatible with my new operating system. And I'm willing to wait, even though the desire of my heart is for things to run as I've designed them. Even though those people mocking my world saying, look, who, what kind of God would create this world? He's saying, I am going to wait because I hope and I believe that many, if given the time, will finally turn and become compatible with my kingdom and my new operating system. And you know what? Guess who else suffers along the way? All those programs that have already turned and are compatible, God as Father is willing to allow us to live a life that is imperfect, that is glitchy, because he loves his other children just as much. That's what Second Peter is saying. He's saying, I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to wait. This is the love of God. Look, look with me just a few verses below that in verse 15. Paul says something similar. He says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. As salvation. Now pair that with what he said above. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, so let me try to explain to you why repentance is salvation. Why is repentance salvation? This is so important to understand. We have to understand and we must accept something that I think for some of us is hard because maybe we've grown up in a tradition that tends to highlight forgiveness. And we tend to equate forgiveness with salvation. But forgiveness is not salvation. I've actually learned this. Uh, we're doing this book study. Um, several of you are part of it. We're studying John Perkins' book called One Blood on racial reconciliation. Actually, biblical reconciliation around the issue of race in our country. And John Perkins has sort of opened my eyes to this, that forgiveness is not salvation. It is one of the necessary elements in the equation that leads to salvation. So in his book, he talks about, um, and, and now we're speaking about, how might we become reconciled as a nation? Well, he says you have to have confession, the acknowledgement of sin. A confession that the way you've been doing it isn't working. Then you have to add to that forgiveness. This is a choice of, of the one who is harmed to not be the judge and executioner of the perpetrator. We have to have real forgiveness. And then he says, when you have confession and forgiveness, you can't just stop there. It must lead to repentance. And repentance is this biblical term that means a turning of the heart, a turning of the mind, a turning of your way of living. And so all of those things, when they come together, they lead to reconciliation, which is what? What is reconciliation? Ever thought of that? We use that term. It means that relationship would be restored 
to its maximum and designed intent. It means that what if in our country we could get back to the place where every, every person, whatever they look like, whatever their socioeconomic status, whatever their background, might come into relationship that glorifies God. The same is true with our relationship with God. We must have confession. We must have forgiveness. And we must have repentance. And if we have those three elements, we can have renewed, right relationship with our Creator and Savior. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what Peter is saying God desires. He's waiting because he wants that right relationship to be restored. That kind of relationship that when the system is reset, each and every person might continue on in his kingdom. Guess what? There's two parts of that equation that we can participate in. Confession and repentance. God does the forgiving through his son Jesus on the cross. But we need to do confession and repentance. And guess what? That's so hard. That's not simple. For all of us, some more than others, it will take some serious time for us to truly recognize, admit, confess, and turn away from being the center of our own story, of being the hero of our own story, of being the lead actor in our movie, of being the authority on ourselves. That takes some time, if we're honest. We, we can sort of say we've done that, but to truly turn away from that, that is hard, hard work. But that's what it means to repent and to let God in Christ be the center of all that we are, to be the lead actor, to be the hero of our story, to be the authority. This is hard. And God gives us time to do this. Just a little side note here. It's good to remember what Jesus says salvation really is. He doesn't say the top 10% of good people in the world are saved. I think that's how we tend to think about it. Like if we could just somehow do an equation and figure out who the ten, top 10% of, of good people in the world are, those are the people that get saved. That is not what Jesus says. He does not just say, let me give you some time so that you can get your life back on track, and then you'll be saved. He doesn't say, I'm going to have to give you some time so that you can perfect self-control, and once you do, or get in that top 10% of the most self-controlled, then you'll be saved. He doesn't just say, let me give you some time so that you can stop thinking about yourself first, but start thinking about others first, and then you'll be saved. That, that is not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that the only way to receive the salvation of Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection is to take the time you need to learn how to swallow your pride. That is the gospel. And that takes so much time for many of us. 
particularly for those of us who are pretty resilient, pretty self-sufficient. You see, we struggle swallowing our pride, admitting that we need divine help, and finding Jesus Christ as that help. That takes some time. And the good news of Peter 3.9 is that he's giving us that time. He's giving your friends that time. He's giving your coworkers that time because he loves them as much as he loves you. That's good news. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect. You don't have to have self, perfect self-control because Jesus had perfect self-control. You don't have to be perfect at thinking of others more important than yourself because Jesus thought of others more important than himself. And he became our sacrifice. But it does mean that you have to learn to swallow your pride, and that's not easy. God in his love realizes this, so he's slow. He's slow to hit reset. He's slow to reboot the system. And Peter says his slowness is not slowness, it's patient love. And for those that scoff, where is your God? I don't think he's coming back. If he hasn't come yet, he probably won't come. Peter says, to the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. Think about that. And you have to remember here for a second, Peter's being a bit cheeky. He's writing against some guys that are challenging his authority and teaching something different than Jesus taught. And so he's, he's both teaching truth, but he's also rebuking. And so he's being a little tongue-in-cheek here. He's saying like, so when did you guys become the expert on slowness? Let me put this in, in um, my terms. If you asked my son Grayson, how long is okay to wait till his next Lego set comes? He would tell you, Tomorrow. <laughs> That's me being patient, Dad. And I would say to you, when did Grayson become the expert on slowness? Because everything's slow to Grayson. Everything is slow to him. Everything, literally everything is slow to him. Why isn't, why isn't the food ready, Mom? Why, Dad, where's my water? Dad, give me a snack. Are we there yet? Everything is slow. And here's, here's the reality of life. The more mature you become, the better perspective on time you have. Here's the problem with this reality. Most of us here are pretty young. We should just assume we are not the experts on slowness. So if God is not giving you what you want in the timing that you want, you should probably come into it with a place of humility saying, I have no idea what slowness is. Talk to somebody who's lived a long life. And if you really want to know about slowness in time, maybe you should talk to the author of time, God himself. Peter says, don't pretend like you know time and God doesn't know time. Who are you? So this is God's slowness, his waiting his waiting to remove injustice and pain and suffering, his lack. Is this a lack of love or is this an act of love? The answer is it's absolutely 
unquestionably an abounding, overflowing, inexplainable love poured out on us in the form of God's patience. Praise be to God that he is patient with us. That he desires that none should perish. That all should come to repentance. I mean, is that sinking in? Why, why does he do this for us? So let me give you three takeaways. Things that I hope that you take from this truth and apply to your life. The first is this. You need to begin to ask yourself the question, is your patience divine or is it earthly? Earthly patience is like a grain silo. And in times of famine, just like we're in right now, you begin to draw from it. Now, some of us have bigger silos. Some of us have been saving up more grain. But all of us, if we've got earthly patience, are, we're, we're, we're taking from it now. And eventually we'll run out of it. And what do we do when we run out of it? Well, we do things that are contrary to the will of God in our life. That's what I've found. Divine patience, on the other hand, is like a river. It never seems to run dry. It always seems to find us. And, and, and unless you're an expert on the weather, you're not sure why a river, a river never stops flowing. Like, I'm, I live in Colorado, and the rivers are always flowing, but it never rains. I don't understand it, really. But that's like divine patience. One way, one way to begin to, to know, am I tapping into divine patience, or am I just drawing from my grain silo? Ask yourself this question. Which, which, what kind of watch do you wear? Does your watch read kingdom time or does it read earthly time? Meaning like, do you feel the pressure of my, my life's running out? My 20s are running out. My best days are behind me. I, I, gotta, I gotta fill it up. Time's running out. Or do you think about time in the way God thinks about it? A day, it's like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. I shouldn't feel this anxiety. My eternity's not running out. What kind of watch do you wear? Seriously, what kind of watch do you wear? Second takeaway. Who do you bless with your patience? Who do you bless? Now, look, let me look, look at the text real quick. I want to show you something that you would only know if you were reading this in the Greek. The New Testament's written in the Greek language, but you can't see it in our language. We're actually going to see two different words, but in the Greek, they're actually the exact same word. So when it says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, that's his promise of coming and putting the world right, as some count slowness. Now remember what I said about the some. Who are the some? Those are the scoffers. And the Greek word here is tines. Now, keep reading. As some, the scoffers count slowness, but is patient towards y'all, not wishing that any should perish. Guess what any is in the Greek? Tines. Peter is 
using a play on words. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, even God wishes that those same people who are telling lies about him, who are mocking him, that he'll never come back, he'll never judge the world, we can do whatever we want, he's not coming, we'll eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, God's not coming back. Those same people that say that to God, God says, you know what? I hope that they come to repentance and turn back to me. That's how deep my love is. Peter is highlighting that through his wordplay, saying God waits for them to repent. Part of the reason he's not coming back is, is for the people who are mocking him. But do you see the love of God? They're mocking him to his face, and he says, I wait for you. I want you to come back to me. I mocked God, and he waited for me to turn back to him. I bet you mocked God, and he's, he waited for you. Is that what your patience looks like? Or are you only patient with those people who already love you? Those people who already think like you? Those people who already vote like you and look like you and live like you? Are those the only people that you're patient with? then you are not tapping into the divine patience of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You're not. So don't, don't claim it. Maybe that's your sign that you're not tapping in because you have no patience for anybody that's different than you or thinks different from you or even those people that mock God. How do you tap in? If, if you feel like you don't have that kind of patience, how do you tap in? Here's what you do, Jesus says. You pick up your cross and you follow me. I want you to, to close your eyes and I want you to think about Jesus, your Lord and Savior, walking through the streets of Jerusalem after he'd been beaten and scourged and he hadn't eaten in days, carrying his own cross up a hill so that he could die. Tell me, do you think that was a fast process or a slow process? It was painfully slow. We have stories of he needed people to help him carry his own cross. When you pick up your cross, whatever that might be, and you learn to carry it, if it's truly a responsibility given to you by God, it will teach you and grow in you divine patience because you won't be able to carry that cross without the Spirit of God living in you. So what is God asking you to pick up? What is the cross that he's asking you to carry across the city? It will teach you to slow down because the weight of it will be such that you will be like Jesus carrying his own cross to Calvary. Finally, Even God's patience runs out. Look at verse 10. Right after one of the greatest verses to explain to us God's love, Peter reminds us of this. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord, that's the day when Jesus comes and gets everything that he wants, 
his wedding day, when his justice and his righteousness and his holiness are finally made the world over. That day will come, and it'll come like a thief. It'll come like a thief. What is he talking about here? Does a thief tell you, hey, by the way, on Wednesday next week, at about 8 or 9, I'm going to be breaking into your house and stealing your whiskey. That happened to me, by the way. Somebody broke into my house, went through every drawer. The only thing they took was my whiskey. It was a sad day. But they didn't tell me they were coming. They just came. Otherwise, you know what I would have done with that whiskey? Okay, enough said. Holiness, people. Okay, so God says, I will come like a thief. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. I won't tell you, but it will happen. Eventually, my patience will run out. Two kinds of professors that I had. At first, I hated the one kind and I loved the other. I learned in my wisdom of age, in my maturity, to love the one kind, but not the other as much. The first kind of professor is the kind of professor who gives you the pop quiz. He says, on any day, on any class, we can have a quiz. I used to not like that kind of guy. I used to like the guy who says, hey, on this day, so-and-so, and actually here's all the questions, just memorize them, and you'll be fine. And then in my maturity and my wisdom, I realized that's not the best kind of professor. The best kind of professor, if I really want to grow and learn, is the kind that doesn't tell me when he's coming with the test. So that every day I'm ready. That's what Peter's saying right now. It's, it, it, he's not trying to trick you. He just knows the best thing for you is to every day be prepared like tomorrow is the day of the Lord. Because he'll come like a thief. You won't know when it'll happen. And, and it is for your good because it will teach you to prioritize. Not to clean up your life and never sin again and hunker down and, and never do anything wrong. But you will prioritize your relationship with Jesus because that is what saves you in the end. If you know that on any day, like a thief, he could come back. His patience will run out. We don't know when, but you should be ready today, tomorrow, and every day, prioritizing your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in the end, he's the one that will usher you into the kingdom of God. Are you ready for that day? You should know that God loves you so much that he's waiting so that you might turn and come back to him. You could do that today. It, it's so simple, but it's so hard. You, you must just confess. This is what you do. If you want to do this, you just confess that you have chosen to be the answer to all your own problems. That you have chosen to do it your own way and that you've chosen to ignore God. That you've sinned and you've fallen short of his holy perfection. And you must confess that you were wrong about Jesus. That you'd put him in a category or use a definition for him that was wrong. That was less than what he was. And confess that now I see that he is the son of God. That he did come to die for my sin. That he rose on the third day and now he lives and rules and reigns and he'll come back again. You just confess those things. And guess what? God is faithful to forgive you of your past, present, and future sin. He's already taken care of that. He's paid the penalty on the cross as the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on your behalf. And then you turn and you walk a new kind of life. You do your best. 
to walk a new kind of life. And when you fall short, you get back up and you keep turning towards Jesus. That's what you do. And the Bible says if you do those things, God is faithful to save you, to be reconciled to you. You have a new relationship with Jesus. So you could just pray those things today. You could just make a commitment in your heart to do those things. You could speak with your lips, tell somebody, tell a friend you came with, come tell me, this is what I want for my future. And God says, I will send you the gift of the Holy Spirit that will give you the divine patience you need to live out this new life to my glory. It won't be easy, but it'll be for your good and for my glory. So I'm going to pray now. And I just ask you, talk to God with me as I talk to God. Thank him for his patience in your life. Confess your sin to him. Turn to him with your full being and walk with him for the rest of your life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, King of kings, the God of all grace and mercy, patience and forgiveness, we just come before you today as your people, as your children, acknowledging that we cannot save ourselves, acknowledging that we had mocked and scoffed at your goodness and your coming, that we'd gone our own way. And God, now we turn back to you. We confess that. We acknowledge that. We ask for you to forgive us. We stand underneath the cross of Jesus Christ. And we accept what you've said, that when we stand underneath him, that you place upon him our sin, and that you deal with it, that your justice is made perfect. God, we accept that for ourselves. And we now turn by the power of the Spirit, the resurrection power that Jesus Christ gives to us and sends us so that we might walk in newness of life, that we might spend our days glorifying you, serving you, seeking your face in all that we do. God, be with our community. God, just be this week with those who are being baptized next Sunday, God, as they make this declaration publicly, God, just walk with them faithfully this week. Help them to know that you are with them, that you will never leave them or forsake them, that your patience is great with them even when they fall short, and that your love will lift them up time and time again. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you are, for all that you've done, and for all that you will do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.